Match week two of the English Premier League is in the books. We're learning a little bit more about each team, and we also might just have a new leading candidate for top scorer. Some, you know, some big guy who wears blue. Maybe you've heard of him. It's over the top. Match week two. I'm Colin. I've got my man Justin here. What's up, dude? What is up? Match week two in the books. And man, you just have... I- not to give it away, but the whole notion of top six just doesn't seem to be a thing this year. It seems to be top four and everyone else. It's it's weird how after about 10 years, we've like reverted back to top four. Because remember how big the top four used to be? I mean, when we first started watching the Premier League in the 2000s, it was like an unshakable top four year in, year out. You know exactly who's mm-hmm. going to be in the Champions League. And then it just, things got interesting and kind of like, you know, vague for a couple of years there. And yeah, I'm with you. The top four just on another level this year. And of course, what Kyle's mentioning about the top four, the two teams that are the newest in that big six are Manchester City and Tottenham, of course. So you think of Manchester City being new. Obviously, a lot of the Premier League fans here in the States think Manchester City, this perennial power because they've started watching the Premier League when they were in high school or beyond. And obviously, Aguero... And all the years since, they've been amazing. But before that, pretty bleak in the blue side of Manchester. But yeah, obviously now they're uh, they're going to be a power year in and year out. And you're backed by a country. I mean, yeah, a literal country in Qatar. If anyone didn't know that, yes, the whole corruption surrounding FIFA 2022, but they're still hosting it. Yeah, it's the same same people who decided to go and buy Man City in 2008. But you got to say, that Aguero moment in, what was it, 2012, one of the all-time great Premier League moments. I mean, man, it doesn't matter how much you hate City or just the idea of City. I don't think people hate City. It's just the idea of City and how they got their riches and went from being relegation fodder most years, honestly, and it's been that way for decades, to, you know, now, what, Pep has spent like a billion a billion pounds, not dollars, over the last, you know, five years. So, yeah, so. they're the most uh, by transfer market. They're the most valuable club in the world, and that's including PSG. So, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty crazy over there. Yeah, I mean, when you can spend like forty million pounds on every single bench player, yeah, something's not right. Something's not right. But yeah, City are definitely in the top four. Spurs, you know, it's getting further and further away. Uh, you know, Arsenal is definitely not in there anymore. But, you know, I, it's there are some interesting people knocking on the door like Leicester. But, yeah, Justin, the top four this this year, just head and shoulders above. And there was a game, it pretty much the highlight game of the entire weekend that illustrated that better than any other match could have. Of course, I'm talking about Chelsea's complete and utter domination of Arsenal. It was only 2-0. Um, did not feel like 2-0, Justin. It, man, how do I describe this? It almost felt like, and tell me if I'm dramatizing this a little bit, but it almost felt like an FA Cup match where the better team, the English Premier League top four team, was playing a championship side. Honestly. I mean, how the game flow was, the amount of chances that Arsenal created, the lack of, uh, I don't know, adaptation from the manager mid-game, because he's either unwilling or unable to change things, made it feel like an FA Cup match, Kyle. Like when you're playing one of those, you know, bottom feeder championship sides or even mid-table championship sides, and they just don't have the quality to match up, so they can't really make adjustments. 
That's kind of what it felt like. And so, getting into the game a little bit, obviously this is Romelo Lukaku, who you, who you mentioned, the big guy in blue, earlier in the podcast. Uh, his first game in the Premier League season, and he did not need to shake off any rust. I mean, my God, he comes in there and just complete and utter, just macho dominance. Get the F off me, Pablo Mari. This is my box and my ball, and this is my area, and get the F out of the way. Oh, Mari looked like a little boy out there. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. first of all, I also want to take a step back and like pat myself on the back for not pulling in a, a dick joke into the, uh, the intro. Like is so it's low hanging fruit with Lukaku. Congratulations. Uh, like, like, like you did for the, our preseason pod. I got to say, <laughs> but, Oh, uh, I yeah. mean, come on, get your mind out of the gutter. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But no, you're, you're not just being harsh. Th- that was complete and utter domination, specifically of Pablo Mari, but of their whole back line. And, and this is a guy who's been at Chelsea for less than a week. I think he's had like four, maybe five training sessions with this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuchel said after the game that, you know, I didn't try to coach him or tell him what to do because he hasn't had enough time with the team. I just told him to go out there and do his thing. And you can tell with the best strikers in the world, they just know where to be at the right time. And that's exactly what Lukaku did on his first goal, uh, which was a good team move. But it wasn't just his goal. And that's not, you know, scoring on his debut 15 minutes into it against a big, quote unquote, you know, a big club, but a struggling one at that. Um, you know, that's not just the reason why we're saying there's like a, another new uh, top score candidate, but. Bert Leno had to make an amazing save to prevent it from being two. Uh, I think he had some other chances and he just like, he was such a target man for Chelsea and completely made Arsenal's back line look like a bunch of little boys. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Tuchel real quick on Lukaku, I mean, I think that's, you know, ever since he's been at Chelsea since last year or since this January, I think I just feel like he's pulled all the right strings to make that team come together. I mean, going in, I was looking at old over the top tweets and we were saying like Lampard was right for benching Mount. He was terrible, la la la. And look at Mason Mount since Tuchel's been there. He's been a revelation, right? I mean, starting for England and the Euros, been a fantastic player. You look at Lukaku coming in, how he's handling that coaching job, saying, hey, you know, you go do your thing. I know you're amazing. You'll adapt to our team. They'll adapt to you, whatever. But you go do your thing, and he did his thing, right? Um, And then you look at the back line and, you know, how he's structured this team because he's been at Dortmund, um, where he played four at the back, and PSG, and adapting to really great players there. And then he looked at this Chelsea side and said, I really want to structure this team to play five at the back or three at the back, depending on you know what team they're playing in, etc. And you know, be the most dangerous that it can be, depending on the opponent. And sometimes that's playing Reese James in center back, Kyle, and right center back, where we've seen him, I would say, 60% of the time. And then the other 40% of the time, it's Reese James at right wing back. And that's what we saw today. And Arsenal had no answers, begrudgingly for me, because I was playing you in fantasy and you have Reese James, of course, 18 points. Reese James at right wing back. And Kyle, I've never seen a player, I swear to God, I've never seen a player have repeatedly more space than Reese James did in this game. And he made the most of it. I mean, he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was enough, it was noticeable enough for the announcer of the game to actually in live time say like, I think word for word, it was um, maybe Lee Dixon, former Arsenal right back or something. So like the announcer's 
played outside back. I think Graham Lasso is the other one. Both pretty great Premier League outside backs, so they know what they're talking about. But I remember them saying Reese James must. This must be one of those games where Reese James just absolutely loves playing because every time he looks up, there's just acres of space and he can do whatever he wants. And for a, an outside back who you know is a great has a great delivery of the ball, that's just a big, big, big no-no. He can also hit it. I mean, I remember he scored a banger from 30 yards last last season. So not really understanding this game. why. Yeah, not not really understanding what the tactics were there. I thought it was interesting because... This is clearly like a holdover from Arteta's uh, time as assistant manager at Man City because Pep Guardiola used to be able to pull this off. His, you know, Jao Cancelo and Kyle Walker would go center mid uh, defensively, but then, or, or, no, I think uh, at, when they're attacking, they'd go in the center. When they're defending, mm, yes. they'd go out wide or something bizarre like that. So this just was not the game to do it. Reese James, 18 points, got me the dub in fantasy over you. Um, but you know what you're saying about Reese James being able to play right center back, right wing back. This just like this just reeks of how much depth Chelsea have. I mean, because what they really were lacking was a good striker, a good goal scorer. I mean, even the signing of Lukaku, I think, will actually benefit Werner in some weird way, and probably Havertz too. Because I don't think those are I think strikers. Havertz big. They can play off of a striker, which I think is great for them. And this this Chelsea team, they might even have more depth than Man City, which is just absolutely crazy. I mean, it's close. And the fact that it's close is just wild. Every single position, they've got two, sometimes three players. And um, look, it's no coincidence that the two teams we're talking about with this kind of depth are the ones ran by some of the richest people in the world. You know, won a country. No and coincidence. Russian oligarch with Chelsea, so... Whatever, I'm just salty. <laughs> I mean, the bench for Chelsea this game, I'll just run through it real quick. Kepa, eh. Thiago Silva, N'Golo Kante, Timo Werner, Tre- Trevo Chalaba, who bright oncoming center back, yep. uh, Kurt Zuma, who looks like he's going to leave, but still there, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Ben Chilwell, who hasn't seen any time yet this season, and Hakeem Zayat coming back from injury. And then, of course, they still have Christian Pulisic, who is going to be coming back from COVID, and they have other players as well. So, I mean... This team is stacked. Yeah. Christian Pulisic with the, one of those really rare, uh, what do they call those cases, where you test positive when you've got vaccinated. Um, I mean, it's becoming less rare, right? But the yeah, the vaccination obviously saves you from symptoms and, you know, provides a lot that's of benefits. So that's good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else on Chelsea? I mean, I want to really cover Chelsea well before we get to the Arsenal side because they deserved the win and they were dominant. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about, um, I'm starting to see a lot, not just starting, even before the first match of the the season, I I was seeing a lot of people predicting Chelsea to win the title, which might surprise people given how, like, dominant Man City have been. I mean, what, they've won four out of the past five seasons. Pep is ever-present, this and that. But one thing that I was thinking of that I'd love to get your thoughts on, if Man City don't sign... A big striker. I was going to say Kane, but honestly, it's kind of looking less and less likely as the days go by, but story could always turn. If Man City don't sign a big striker, are Chelsea...
favorites, favorites? and it's not crazy. When- I said it was an overreaction, but it's not crazy. There's a reason um, why why I brought it back up. It's a valid point. It is a valid point. I mean, it's again, it's hard to imagine, but your question is if City don't sign a striker, and if City don't sign a striker, I think Chelsea are slight favorites. And I mean slight, but I think they're slight favorites because, as we were talking pre-show, Lukaku is a top three striker in the world right yep. now. City don't have a top striker. I mean, Gabriel Jesus, who played very well this weekend. I mean, he's a good player, but he's not an elite striker. And to have an elite, just lethal finisher like Lukaku is, and he does more than finish, but having a lethal finisher on your team just adds a new dimension. And this is already adding to a Chelsea team that, you know, performed really well in the Premier League under Tuchel last year and won the Champions League. So... Yeah, I mean, you have to say they're slight favorites if City don't sign a striker. But, you know, lots of time left. It's rumored that Lewandowski's on the market, which we'll get to later. Ronaldo might be on the market. So there's things, there's things happening, right? So I don't think that they won't sign anybody. But yeah, if they don't, then you'd have to say Chelsea are favorites. Yeah, one thing I will say is no matter what Man City do, um, I'd bet my money that Chelsea will, at the very least, take them to the end of the wire, regardless of what Man City do. And I think that says a lot. Um, You know, also thinking about this game, other main takeaways you can pull from it. I think this game also says a lot about Arsenal. And I think that might Mm. be a little unfair since you're playing Chelsea, one of, honestly, the best teams in Europe, in my opinion. But it was was the manner of, of this, less the defeat and the manner of the performance and just what you saw out there from an ability perspective, a mentality perspective, a tactical perspective. I mean, you name it. I mean, Arteta is starting to look more and more out of his depth in a way and almost doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. I I also was shocked at how long it took for him to change the tactics to address what was going on on their left-hand side. Reese James just having a complete heyday, wide open space. But this game was really telling to Arsenal for me. and. Yeah, I, I'm just. I think there's 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 a pathway forward with some of these young attacking players, but that's just the attack, and it's not like they're we're seeing a bunch of young attacking talent in the defensive positions, or even at center mid. You know, the whole spine of the team just looks still really really soft. I mean, where do they go from here? Brutal. I will I will start by saying that Arsenal do have quite a few players out but that's also not an excuse for this performance Kyle I mean it was 2.9 to 0.3 xg we didn't even and mention so that yet. so that that's kind of an ass whooping right uh, Chelsea had 22 shots to Arsenal's five or six I believe they had six shots I mean passing accuracy way more 65 percent possession for Chelsea so you named the stat and it was complete domination for Chelsea the lack of adapt- adaptability, as I was mentioning earlier in the show, on that left-hand side for Arsenal was really concerning. So you had Kieran Tierney out there, who's a good player. Not his best game, obviously. I mean, Arsenal, you could say that about a lot of players, but obviously Tierney's not his best game. But he was also sucked into the middle a lot, right? And so you have Bakayo Saka out on the left, a young, promising, great player who is also not tracking back or covering the space that he needed to. So as a manager, you have to make a change, realize it, yell at your players to yell at Saka or do something, right? 
Um, so, I mean, something, there's a disconnect there. Who's the captain on this Arsenal team yelling at the players to get into shape, right? Because it's also a manager, but it's also a player mentality thing, too. If you're okay. at right back, for example, you're playing right back, and I'm at right mid, and I'm not tracking back, and there's two players, and you're getting sucked into the inside, I imagine you're yelling at me saying, hey, dude, you need to get back. You need to cover your space. Like, you know, something's going wrong. We need to make an adjustment. So it's not all on Arteta. Some of the pl- Some of the blame falls on the players as well, but... Just just a complete disconnected lack of identity, and I just don't know what the game plan was going into Chelsea. It's hard to, you know, were they trying to go toe to toe with the European champions with that squad missing as Ar- as Arteta says nine players? Well, that was dumb. Like, why are they trying to go toe to toe? They need to play, you know, more reserved and play counterattacking. I mean, yes, Emil Smith Rowe is a bright talent, and he had some nice moves in this game. But like, who's he passing to? Where are the runs? Where's the counterattacking football? Where's the quick play? I mean, such a gulf. And then there's obviously the gulf of talent, right? Like, even though Arsenal have spent the most of uh, any club in the Premier League in this transfer window, you have Gabriel Martinelli, a backup on the U23 Brazil team, versus Romelo Lukaku. I mean, I don't think that's a a real comparison. So. Lots to digest with Arsenal. Don't really know where it goes, but Arteta's given time. He's given he's been given more time than Unai Emery, and has have had more losses per you know per ten games or whatever the stat is. He has more losses per game essentially is how it comes down. So I don't know, Kyle. It's pretty disappointing yeah. all around. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and this has been a downfall that's been in the works for about ten years, and some Arsenal fans would tell you even longer. Uh, poor investment year on year out but um this you know forever the narrative was arsenal didn't spend the cronkies their ownership group who actually owns the the rams is that right i think the rams the colorado rapids i mean yeah yeah um and it was always about how the cronkies aren't paying up they're not investing in the team um i would argue uh that hasn't really been the case in recent years in this offseason so far, I mean, the transfer window is still open and a certain Man City might blow out a ton of money. United always can, too. But Arsenal has been the highest sp- net spenders this entire transfer window. I actually didn't know that until you mentioned it uh, off air before we hopped on. But it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, in the last couple of days, they brought in Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, you might remember him from... Uh, Sheffield United last season and then before then I think he was where Burnmouth I think he was uh, so he yep. got scored on a lot he was always part of a really poor defense you got to say but at the same time you think that gives you a lot of opportunity to display how <laughs> you know your saves and things like that and um, I still have some doubts about Ramsdale but you know he's young English I'll give him the benefit of the doubt uh, they bought him for what like thir- you know 25 million pounds something like that they then went to Real Madrid and bought Martin Odegaard for a somewhat similar fee, I think maybe 30, 35 million pounds, something like that. He's a player that I really rate. So they do have these young and promising players, mm-hmm. but that's not really a foundation for immediate success. So I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. But if you're looking for some hope deep down in there, we've still never really seen a fit Thomas Partey for Arsenal. So that's promising. I do think Rob Holding is getting better, but I still think he's an average Premier League player. But it's what I mainly look at are players like Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe. Um, I still think Nicolas Pepe is going to have a good season and finally show up. Uh, there are signs there. And um, 
you know, I think Odegaard's a great player too. So that is the future, but all those players are attacking players except for, um, who did I mention? Maybe Rob Holding. And even then, like, ben that's White. Not really gets you excited. Yeah. Okay. Ben White. So, you know, there's something that could potentially happen there. It's just, I'm starting to really doubt if that's going to be under uh, Arteta. I think we have a leading candidate for uh, the, the ramen meter sack race. And I was actually reading that Arteta has until October to save his job, which, wow, we're already starting to read those stories so far as Premier League season. Right. And, you know, Things things won't be. They're not going to get relegated. That's not what we're saying here on this podcast. They will likely finish top ten, but we mean by a long season compared to the Arsenal standard of being top four, or top six. It's looking really hard that they're going to get in there. It's not going to get any better next week, Kyle. They go to Manchester City, and so the, you know it, it's looking tough. A, a point would be fantastic for Arsenal in that game, especially coming in the missing players that they have and etc. So. Their season starts in September, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> go zero and three. Uh, Arsenal have, uh, you know, before we move on into other games, they haven't scored a goal yet. It's the first time I think in like seventy years or something they've gone without a win and without a goal in their first two games. It's not something you ever associate with Arsenal, who you probably associate with free flowing attacking football more than any Premier League side, right? I mean, honestly, I hate. I, mean, I hate they to were when that, we grew but... up. I, I honestly hate to admit that. It hurts me to my core, but it's true. Arsenal always had the style, if anything, and that style. I mean, when was the last time we saw that? It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Let's get into some other games, a little more uh, lighthearted for the bigger teams here. Liverpool against Burnley. I would say a really comfortable 2-0 win for Liverpool. And... Another game, another goal for Diogo Jota. Another start for Diogo Jota. So we had second game in a row where we had Sadio Mane, Mo Salah on the right, and Diogo Jota kind of playing that false nine Roberto Firmino role. And so I think that's interesting going forward. I mean, they've played two pretty easy games against Norwich and Burnley to open up. I think both of us have them as relegation candidates for sure this year. But I think it's interesting that Firmino is not getting the nod like he did other seasons where we were saying constantly last season that he was performing under par. So that's one of the highlights for me. And then the second, which I'll let you elaborate on, is the 18-year-old Harvey Elliott, who comes in, the number, I think, 67 for Liverpool. You know, yeah. that you know they have Fabinho, they have Thiago, they have all these players. But Harvey Elliott gets the, gets the start, and I thought he did pretty well. Yeah, well, real quick before Harvey Elliott, I got to say, Justin is the one who's been banging on the drum of like Firmino needs to not be starting this and that. And I was like, oh, come on, you're being harsh on Firmino. But um, I got to say, you're right on with your crystal ball on this one. And uh, he has been underperforming for quite a while now. And um, I'm liking what I see, especially the goal that Jota had um, inside the box. Great header. Great ball by Simicas or the Greek guy at left back anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot to look forward to for Liverpool. I you know, I didn't expect Jota to hit the ground running this much. But yeah, eighteen year old Harvey Elliott, you know, he was brought in with this like kind of crazy haircut and had really nice dribbling skills uh, when he was brought in as like a fifteen year old from Fulham. Great dribbling ability, looked like a promising winger, like a Salah or Messi type, I guess. Just that player profile. I've been really surprised to see him play as one of the three center midfielders in Klopp's um, system. And I asked my dad, who's a Liverpool fan, about that this week. And he actually was telling me that word is Liverpool didn't replace 
Finaldum or Shakiri largely because of Harvey Elliott, which I thought was really surprising. And I know we've seen Shakiri play as like an attacking center mid, more in the midfield than in the attacking front three for Liverpool. Uh, I was really surprised to to hear that. Um, I understand that Naby Keita might also finally show up and not be injured forever, but um, watching him in this game, you could totally see why his his uh, first touch, his vision, his uh, footballing IQ is great, and the ball he played to I think it was Trent before the assist on the second goal was was beautiful. So I'm really encouraged what I see from Harvey Elliott, and you got to say you don't really get that many English players that that kind of technical ability but um i could be wrong because we saw some pretty supreme technical ability from another english player this weekend over in the aston villa game who beat newcastle 2-0 danny ings justin my god what Mm. a bike i mean and he got up after scoring that bike like like he wasn't surprised or that jazz he was just like yeah this is what i do this is what i can do and everyone in the premier league knows it so why wasn't he picked up by a big club you know, he costs 30 million pounds or maybe less and goes to Aston Villa, like totally left field. It had to be the injury history, Kyle. I can't think of another reason. I mean, you look at his Liverpool career, obviously stunted by injuries. But if you had to pick right now, who's the better player, Roberto Firmino or Danny Ings for a striker, who would you pick? Uh, yeah, I, well, I'd probably still go Ings, even though I think Firmino fits that system like a glove and Ings doesn't. But yeah. So, so I'm saying it's, it's a tough choice, though, right? Like, it's a decision. Yeah. But in, when he was at Liverpool, it wasn't because he's either injured or he didn't have the form or whatever it was. He couldn't get going. So, yeah, I mean, what a performance and what a goal. I mean, just a fantastic. And it had so much pace on it, too. So Aston Villa finally get going. And. They're an interesting team, right? They have Buendia, who hasn't really quite performed yet in his two games, trying to get his Premier League footing. Leon Bailey was out with a knock, but they're going to have some players when they come back in September. They're going to have Ollie Watkins. They're going to have Leon Bailey. They're going to have, who else do they have by Buendia? They have Trezeguet. They have El Ghazi, who slotted home the penalty. They have Bertrand Traore, who's a great player, too. So they have some players, and they're going to be interesting this year. So... Yeah, Danny Ings, little um, EPL proven, big talent. Can he stay healthy is the big question for him. But if he can, Aston Villa is going to have a nice season. Yep, no ACLs, and it doesn't even matter for Danny Ings. Look, he, I, I think I was actually expecting City to really go for him after they got tired of the whole Kane situation. But whatever, it's Aston Villa's win, and the big question for them is if they can... Um, if they can bet in all these players this first year, I, I think a lot of people are, are assuming that Villa are going to have a great season, but Jack Grealish was like everything for them. And that's a big loss. So they brought in a lot of talent. They spent the money really well, but this season um, it'll be really interesting to see if they can all sort of blend together and sort of speaking one of thing like, bef- one, one sorry, thing before we move on, Callum Wilson missed a big chance in this game. Oh, yeah. True to him, he was he was through on goal, and that would have changed the complete uh, trajectory of this game. So, Callum Wilson's a good player for Newcastle, but you know, can they provide him the service to deliver? Is the question. And so far, he's had a couple chances this year. One he's converted, one he hasn't. But Newcastle, a lot of questions surrounding that club. It's it, that's always the question with Newcastle too. I almost feel for every single attacker. Like not even just strikers, just any attacker that goes to Newcastle because you just know they're going to play like a really 
dour style of anti-football, really defensive. And it's got to be really tough being striker there. So so I, I feel for them. I actually think they've actually got more going on up at the top of the pitch than they have since since I can like remember them in the Premier League, honestly, with St. Maximan and, and um, Callum Wilson and then your favorite, Joe Linton, you know? Oh man, he hasn't seen the light of day, which is good. You know, keep that, keep him in the basement. But yeah, so I mean, they'll be interesting to watch. But just thought, you know, Callum Wilson could have really changed the game there. Uh, to go to from Aston Villa to Crystal Palace to go back to London now. This was a nil-nil game between Brentford and Palace, and you know, some nil-nil games are boring. I would say this is one of the more exciting ones, if you had to pick. I mean, I didn't watch this Seriously. game live, but from the highlights, I mean, there were chances in this game, no doubt. Um, from from Will Zaha or Ivan Tony or the Brentford you know, center backs had opportunities as well. So we'll see what happens. I think two teams that are trying to get used to the new environments that they're in, right? So you have Patrick Vieira and Crystal Palace trying to make a mark on that team and find an identity, which I'm, you know, I think they're still still trying to figure out because, you know, they lost a lot of players as we mentioned last week. So trying to figure out who's important, who's not, uh, what's the role of Benteke, who's up with Zaha, Eze when he gets back into the team, et cetera. And then Brentford, what's their identity? And I feel like they kind of have one under their new manager or their new premier league manager, I should say. Um, Kyle, I think four points in the first two games going against away at Crystal Palace and home against Arsenal. I think Brentford are very happy with their Premier League debut. Oh, yeah. I, Brentford fans would uh, snatch your hands off, as the British say. I don't really know what that saying means. It, uh, it's kind of weird, but <laughs> snatch your hands off for four points in the first two games. Yeah, look, if they have anything besides their really interesting money ball sort of thing going on um, and team spirit, they, they totally have an identity. And you can tell this is a team that has a deep connection with not just their manager, but their fans as well. Um, and it sounds like the surrounding area as well. I didn't realize they're a pretty old club, but um, have newly been totally revamped and revitalized. So I'm excited for Brentford to be here. Um, I've been surprised by how defensively solid they've been. They actually they haven't conceded a goal yet either, which is also big. And they've got some pretty good technical players in that midfield with uh, Sergi Canos. We haven't even seen, uh, what's his name, De Silva yet, or Matias Jensen, my, my cousin cousin Jensen out there. Uh, yeah. And Mark, we saw him play in the Euros. So, um, you know, FC Scandinavia, a.k.a. Brentford, um, I'm loving seeing where they're going to go. Uh, one thing I, I do that stood out also for Crystal Palace in this one, I can see fans in the media getting really impatient with, Patrick Vieira and Crystal Palace, which I would, you know, I'm hoping to urge some caution with that. I'd like to see Patrick Vieira given some time because revamping a squad that was as, you know, sit back deep and defend deep like Palace did under Roy Hodgson and completely change the ethos of the club to something more progressive. That's something that takes a long time. And it's gone a lot better than when Frank DeBoer tried it like five years ago and he lost like seven games in a row and didn't score a single goal. So um, look, I, I'm hoping that Patrick Vieira gets gets some time because I, I would love to see the crowd at Crystal Palace, some of the best fans in the league, have something more progressive to chant for. And I'd like to see Zaha in an exciting team for once because, you know, people talk about Kane trying to force a move, but Zaha has never done that. And he truly, truly deserves a move. Um, so that was the first tie that we've had all season. But Leeds also drew Everton 2-2. 
And uh, wow, I, I didn't watch this game live. Kind of wish I did because this sounded exciting. Uh, the extended highlights were great. Each team had 17 shots. Um, chance after chance after chance. This game was wide open. It was a classic Leeds game. And some good goals in there, especially from uh, Damari Gray, which is looking like a clever signing. Yeah, I mean, $2 million? It's nothing, nothing in today's age. I mean, it's like throwing away, like taking out the garbage. I mean... This is a guy who was on Leicester City, didn't really get the opportunities that you know he thought he deserved, went over to Leverkusen, couldn't really find a place, and then back over to Everton and has found his place in that starting squad for Rafa Benitez. I mean, had a really bright game down the wing, obviously his goal that into the side netting who beat Meslier. And so, I mean, did some great things, and I thought he had a great game. This is a crazy game to watch live. I mean, it was chance after chance, end to end. You know how Leeds United play. It's not a boring side to watch. I mean, if you're a neutral, just watch Leeds games every week and you're everyone's favorite second team, I swear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a great goal. But for me, the best goal in this game was Rafinha. Uh, that 2 2, that left footed shot that was bending, but also had the pace to beat Jordan Pickford and who had really no shot on that goal. I mean, I thought that was fantastic. And this is a player that you and I have loved since last year when he made his Leeds debut. And now he got that number 10 shirts for Leeds, number 10 shirt for Leeds. And I mean, he was disappointing last week at United, but really showed up in this game. Yeah, we talk about good signings with Damari Gray, and you're right, 2 million is nothing. But Rafinha, no one had heard of him when they signed him, or I mean, unless you watch French football or something, but it didn't even seem like Brazilians really held him in high regard either. 17 million for Ren after they qualified for the Champions League. No one really knows of him, and he has just totally set the Premier League alight. I mean, this guy is so much fun to watch. I mean, his classic Brazilian player in the sense that he's just so cheeky. His dribbling ability is great, and he also has good pace, and I think he can score more than 10 goals a season. So if you're looking for ways that he can become a better player and reach that next level, which I think most people probably expect him to to reach. I think he's still pretty young, like 24 or 25 maybe. But uh, if he can add that more consistent goal scoring to his game, and I'd back him to do that. And that makes him, I mean, he was already a good shout for fantasy EPL, but uh, especially this year, um, I see, you know, I, I see him scoring a lot more goals and I see Leeds continuing their good form. And it's signings like Rafinha that give me hope because Leeds recruit well. And so I think that's sustainable. Um, and they also not quite have a money ball situation, but they buy with that same sort of intention that they can, you know, recoup that with sales. So look, I'm loving Leeds. They're my second team. Just as a sheer neutral because they're just so much fun to watch and you know how how could they not be moving on to the blue side of manchester we mentioned them earlier and you know we mentioned chelsea playing arsenal and i said that was kind of like an fa cup draw between a championship side and a premier league side but no game felt like that more than city versus norwich i mean it was just an absolute demolishing and you could just tell the gulf in talent and why Norwich is that yo-yo club. And I was thinking before the pod, we really needed Norwich to have its own division, not quite in the Premier League, <laughs> but not quite in the championship. It just stays in that neutral ground because I understand they're still trying to fill out their squad and figure out their identity with all these new players. But man, it was just an ass whooping. 
truly uh, this is a club whose chairman who i actually really admire because like they're they're they truly try to like not run the club into the ground and they care a lot and understand the finances aren't that great um but i her she was saying that their goal is to make norwich a top 24 english club which you know there are 20 teams in the premier league so they just want to be on that edge teetering literally like the yo-yo club that they are so I don't really have much more to add to this other than, uh, hey, Jack Grealish scored in his home debut. Um, that's good for him. Totally fluky goal with like his, you know. And the bounced off him into the goal, didn't it? <laughs> hey, you know, a goal's a goal. Um, and I'd, ex- I'd totally back Jack Grealish to score a lot more goals than he did at Aston Villa. But there isn't really much more to say other than, my God, a huge, huge golf in class in this game. And uh, that theme was kind of continued, in my opinion, in the Brighton-Watford game, which was 2-0, you know, not quite 5-0, but it really, I don't know about you, Justin, but I really felt like Brighton totally outclassed Watford in this. Watford made some mistakes, and you could see some growing pains with getting into the Premier League, and yes, Brighton, you can still see those issues that they have with scoring goals, but they're just good to watch, man. They're just good to watch, and I think they have one of the best defensive midfielders that just destroys everything and Yves Basuma. I mean, man, that guy is a player. He's a top player, honestly. I think he would start for most clubs in the Premier League. Almost every club, I think he would start. Yeah. I mean, he he was linked with uh, big clubs this summer. I think Liverpool and Spurs and maybe Arsenal. And Mm -hmm. you can totally see why. And he's gonna have one year on his contract after this season, so I met he hasn't signed. I imagine that's when clubs will try to buy him. But yeah, especially the first half too. I mean, Brighton just looked like this very superior team, and obviously Watford gave the ball away. I think the defender passed it to cleverly. Busuma just absolutely obliterated him and stole the ball to Mape, scored. So yeah, it was a great game for Brighton and two for two. I mean, a team who struggled with xg i mean got could got the xg but struggled with finishing and you know two points in two games with the you know the graham potter beard version this season so we'll see if that that gets the goals but i'm still worried about brighton's finishing long term i i just don't know if the players neil mape i don't know what the extent of his injury is but if the players that they have on their rosters can really convert so i i am worried I am worried that they can't convert, but uh-huh. yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced. Cannot convinced with Danny Welbeck. Well, they've still got some time to spend some of that Ben White money, all fifty million pounds of it. And you know, I haven't really heard any rumors, but I expect them to. Actually, wait, correction. I read that they were linked with um, Benfica striker, young and promising. I I I think a uh, Darwin Nunez is his name, and I watch. The only reason I say this is because I watched him once in, I, I think, the Champions League or Europa League last year, and I was like, wow, that guy is going places. He's, like, from Uruguay, 21 years old, looks like a Holland type, you know, tall but really fast and powerful, and just that might be one yeah. to watch out for because I think that's a player that, um, if he went to Brighton, that, oh, my God, that would be an amazing signing. I mean, it's never guaranteed, but... You would think that Brighton is going to at least bring in a goal scorer. They definitely need to. I don't really see other areas of the pitch where they like desperately need players other than maybe another center back to replace White. But I know they brought back Shane Duffy from Celtic, um, who scored a great header on the scored first goal. Scored a goal, yeah. A great header. 
Yeah, I mean, a great header indeed. And let's move to the South Coast now, where Southampton got a point against United. Why I say it in a celebratory voice is because they got their ass kicked 9-0 recently by Manchester United. But a point is a point. And Harry Maguire, uh, Kyle, the, the 80 million pound or 72, whatever it was, slab head from Leicester City, Gave the ball away, pretty lackadaisical, and then Che Adams converts, and that's the big question mark for this team, right? Like they have the players, but can their center mids and defense hold it down for a championship and really a title run, right? Because they have depth. You would think at attacking, you think they score goals if they're healthy and all this, but can their defense really hold it down for a championship contending team and the defense, including the goalie as well? So, yeah. You wonder because this is a game that they really should win if they're title contenders. They go. You saw a theme last year where they went down and they'd always come back and Fergie time or Ole time or whatever it was. They'd come back to win these games and they can't do the same thing this year where they give up leads and try to crawl their way back into games. No, they can't. They can't. I still think they're they're definitely going to have enough about them to, you know, definitely be top four, but. The point you're talking about is has got to be what's holding them back from being title challengers. I would say that and, you know, I'm still, yeah, I sound like a broken record, but I'd say that and their manager, honestly. And the reason I still talk about Ollie is because I, I, when I watch United, I think there are certain teams or certain games that really suit them where they can just kill people on the counterattack. Cause like they're, I think they're probably the best counterattacking team in the whole league. Um, and, you know, now we have Pogba showing up and it's been kind of scary. This is what, yeah. even if you don't like Manchester United, you know, like I've never been a big fan of United. I've always thought there's some glory hunting or like error of invisibility about their fan base. Putting that all aside, you want to see this Paul Pogba playing in the Premier League because we haven't seen it enough. He's an unbelievable player. He and Neymar should be like the Ballon d'Ors right now. They should be. They've got the most talent once Messi and Ronaldo kind of phase out, phase away. Bobby's a great player, though. But five assists in two games, more than he had all of last season. So those are the kind of reasons where I think, yes, they'll still have a lot about them. But you're right. They looked blunt on the day. Um, I'm not sure Veron is going to solve all their defensive problems because uh, I think they have kind of an issue in the holding center mid department. I mean, right. Fred and McCommon are runners, but... Are they great players? I would say no. Um, so, yeah. That, but there are some teams where they just really struggle to play against, like when they sit deep, kind of like Southampton did. So, um, But maybe, hey, maybe this also says that Southampton has some life in them, and maybe they're not quite as doomed as everyone. You know, people are predicting them often relegation zone or mm-hmm. right around there because they really are selling all their players and not replacing them. So I was impressed with their performance. Um, Less so with Manchester United, though. Wolverhampton Wanderers, they saw the return of their former coach, Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, come back to Wolves, and it started off great uh, for Wolves and Spurs with Deli Ali, who hasn't scored a goal since the Ice Age, converting a penalty, or dr- actually drawing a penalty, and then converting the penalty. And for me... Um, you know, there was a shout for a penalty in the Arsenal-Chelsea game, which we could debate all the time, but obviously it was quite like to me, Delhi left his leg hanging there a little bit, but 
yeah, it was a penalty because they didn't have that many close shots, but just the areas and the chances that they could have generated around the box without the final touch. So Spurs didn't do much for me. They left it a little nervy, but at the end of the day, they get two wins in two games, and you know you can't have a better start. And Kyle, two clean sheets. That's all really spot on. Um, I would agree. You know, this was a game where I wasn't too nervous watching it, and I actually didn't feel that nervous that they were going to drop the points late on like they seem to do every single game last season. That being said, though, Wolves were the better team. They possessed the ball so much better. And you're right. They didn't have a lot of chances, and they didn't have a lot of shots. They had one glaring one that Triori should have put away following a dire. And they had a, dire they had a lot of shots. They had a lot, they had 25 shots, but only six on target. Yeah. Um, it's, so, okay, and so some of those target didn't really trouble yeah. your ease. So they had shots, but nothing great. I mean, Triori wasted many opportunities. So, so 25 so. sounds like a lot, but you know, when I was watching that game live and of course I have my like Spurs goggles on, but like they didn't really threaten, but a lot of that comes down to poor final delivery. I mean, mm-hmm. this is at Adama Triori in a nutshell world-class ability with dribbling and take-ons and his pace and power i mean can you imagine this guy is like a running back or something i mean holy shit yeah just oil up and get ready to go his body shape is literally like a running back but he's playing you know footy abroad but uh his dribbling ability is just almost untouchable around the world and he's just so pacey and powerful but his final ball his decision making just is not great um Speaking of Triari, it was really interesting. The the rumors of Spurs looking at him and putting in a bid for him, Nuno wants his old player, were really heating up before the game, during the game, and still after the game. Uh, rumors of like a forty million pound price tag. I don't see Spurs paying that, but hey, who knows? Um, and that that's one that is interesting, and I kind of have mixed feelings on. But look, a good team with Kane and Son. If you have another player who demands attention like Triari. I don't know. It could it could work. Uh, one other thing I did want to mention: we talked about the chanting towards Kane last weekend. You know, are you watching yeah. Harry Kane? People are saying, you know, I believe we had like a half joking like back and forth about like the disrespect and blah blah blah. Um, I think Spurs fans put all that to bed by pretty much unanimously chanting Harry Kane's name, one of our own, one of our own Harry Kane. So. Look, if that doesn't prove that Spurs fans will back him no matter what, literally no matter what, um, then that did. So it's definitely a game where the storylines surrounding the the game, like Triori and Kane and Nuno and all that, were definitely more interesting than, than the game itself, which is pretty pretty dull, got to say. A side note, I mean, you're kind of irritated that Harry Winks came on, even though it was for one oh minute. I'm like, there's no better player we can sub on in the 89th minute than Harry Winks. I mean, I'm so glad you and I agree on this point because, like, I was on when when he came on, I was like, no, we're gonna lose. And people say Harry Winks is young, which is, I guess, semi true, but he's also 25, right? I mean, that's not that young. He's gonna turn 26 during the season. In terms yeah, at some of point, career, we gotta show right it. Here. Your prime starts at 26, maybe 27, probably 26. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, But you got to show something before your prime. I mean, look at some other players like Marcus Rashford or Jadon Sancho or whatever. They're like way younger. At least Sancho is. I mean, he's like 21, right? So I don't know. I just don't see it with Harry Winks. All right, we had a game today in East London, Kyle, between West Ham and Leicester City. And this was kind of a... 
I'll say a chalked game. I don't think you saw the full of what this game could have been because of a 40th minute red card to Yosi Perez. But you have to say, how impressive were the Irons today? I mean, not only with their counterattacking, you mentioned Manchester United might be the best counterattacking side in the Premier League. West Ham might be second. That's how good. I mean, it's arguable for sure, but they are a very, very good counterattacking side of what they did and how dangerous they looked against Leicester City before the red card, and then obviously after when Leicester City went down 2-0 and were going for it. I mean, just so lethal in the movement between Ben Rama and uh, Fornals, who had an excellent game. And then specifically, Mikhail Antonio, who, you know, as when we started watching West Ham, when he started the club, what, seven years ago, he was right back and then right mid, and then all of a sudden they didn't have any strikers, so he played striker. And now he's scored the most goals in West Ham history. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, Premier League goals, I guess. I'm sure they've got some. Premier League big... goals, I mean. Yeah, I'm sure so they've in got modern some era. Because, like, you know, they're a pretty big club. Also, don't like to admit that because I'm not a fan of the Hammers. That shit runs deep. Wine, um, wine, complain, complain. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this is a club, though, that regardless of where they've been in, in the table, always, they've always had a great player. I mean, when I first started watching, like really early, Paulo Di Canio, his crazy ass, what a player. Oh, my God. And then they were also, when they were not so good, um, you know, they've, they've always pulled out players like, you know, that usually tend to flop. But like Yarmolenko potentially is exciting. Ben Rama now. And, you know, over the years, they've had these good, really good players. So it says a lot that a makeshift striker now is a top goal scorer in, in the league. And... I love that it's someone like Mikhail Antonio who, you know, he's got a great personality. He's got some pretty funny uh, goal celebrations almost always. Um, and yeah, now he's scoring 10 goals a season. I mean, seems really humble too. Um, you know, like he'll always talk about like pounding, you know, going to the pub and pounding a few beers after a match and stuff like that. So he just seems like a guy you want to grab a beer with at the pub. But yeah, he look, he's fast. He's a physical beast, but uh, I think he's got a lot more to his technical game than people realize. And if he had his like some real shooting boots on, I mean, pff, that's a really dangerous player. But he's a great player, as he is. I mean, you saw the two goals today. One, a really great shot into the bottom right, and then that touch. I don't know if you saw that other goal where he like touched it over the defender and then like towed it in past Schmeichel. I mean, it was a crazy touch for a goal. Um, so West Ham flying, 4-1 to one start, great Great start to their season, for sure. We'll see how they get on throughout the rest of the season. Leicester City. Um, disappointing performance, obviously, all yeah. around. Yeah, you specifically, got, I was going to say, you go got to elaborate a little bit, because I actually did not have time to watch this game since uh, work was a little crazy today. So, like, like seriously, what, what happened? I saw AOZ Perez got a red card on the yeah. 40th minute. I know Leicester haven't had the best start of the season. Think they have a couple injuries, but what 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 happened there? Yeah, so obviously, you know, they started down one nil when they were still at full strength. They were starting to make some adjustments. They had the majority of the possession, I think, over sixty percent, and up until that point, and were starting to create a little more dangerous chances. But West Ham were, for the most part of the forty minutes, were controlling those chances pretty well. After that, it was a Soyonchu disaster class. And I mean disaster class. I mean, he passed it back, um, basically gifting West Ham 
a second goal. He almost scored a nut. He almost scored in an own goal. He was not marking. I mean, I think he had like Fop Mob, who's a soccer raider. They gave him like a 4.6 rating in this game, which if you look at soccer ratings is really, really bad. Um, so the defense, Amarte, is just not an answer. He's not a permanent center back. I mean, we know the West Leicester's uh, center back woes, right? Uh, Vestergaard got an injury on Friday, so he was unavailable this game. He you did. have West. Oh man. Yeah, you have Wesley Fofana out until probably the new year. You have Johnny Evans out at least until September. So you have some of their top backs out. And so that chemistry wasn't there, but Soyonchu, if he's not on, was was really bad. Um other than that, I mean it's a tough game to to diagnose. I mean, they started going for it when they were two nil down and scored a nice goal. It has to be said, but they were going for the they were going for points in this game, and West Ham just absolutely obliterated them on the counter. Um, you know, ten men going for it, so it's a tough game to judge, right? You know, Leicester will have better days ahead. Um, Early in the season, yeah, so injuries. I mean, slightly I, I concerning. Like I, for- I feel like I remember Leicester getting smoked pretty early on last season as well, and you know, nothing really came of it. So I, I'm sure they're yeah, fine. Tough I don't think it's a long-term thing. I just think the the concerning form of Soyuncu, I think that's something to watch. Like if he has a poor year, then they're going to be down a little bit for sure. See, that's interesting because he was he was great that uh, season after Maguire left, and yeah, mm-hmm. he was linked with Man City for like a fifty million pound move and stuff like that. So in the Premier League, that's all it takes one season of playing great, and you know. 50 million like Ben White and Soyuncu. So yeah, I think, I think Lester will be fine for sure. But, um, I think this also shows that, um, no, I'm not going to go there with my Spurs hat, but I still think Spurs squad is a little bit better, but Lester are more of a cohesive unit and that cohesive, we have to like, bring Spurs. that cohesive unit. And, you know, Brandon Rogers, a great manager. Like all, what I'm saying is Lester will be fine. They'll be totally fine, and oh, yeah, I'm actually surprised fine. that Ianacho hasn't really been playing. I saw Pots and Daka came on before him, and since he was like a pretty early fantasy pick for me, I'm like, oh shit, you know. So, but they've got the, the, you know depend- they've got options, like they haven't had in the past uh, in those attacking. Oh games. yeah, oh yeah, we haven't even seen Sumare fully yet. You know, we're gonna yeah. get some of their defenders back. Castagna's now just getting back and. Fit. you're gonna have james justin come back you know they have the those wide players and probably could use another one so yeah, yeah they they're gonna be a good squad no doubt and maybe so are west ham and west ham is a team yeah. to watch especially if they get into good form i mean they beat lester yeah. and they beat him soundly today but you know i think they have another decently easy game next week i forget who they play but then they play manchester united i think after that so We'll yeah. see how they get on, but it's an exciting start for them. And they're uh, they're top of the table, eight goals, the most scored goals in the Premier League, and, you know, five goal difference, just like Chelsea does. What did David Moyes say that one time? I'm a winner. It's what I do, or something like that, when he was, like, oh. way down in the dumps in his earlier West Ham reign. Everyone laughed at him, and, you know, to his credit. Look like, at him now. Yeah, look at him now, boys. Yo, look, I mean, it was such at a high from Everton and then down in the absolute dumps in Manchester United. And then where do you go? Sociedad in Spain. Yeah, and Random. You think that guy speaks Spanish? Hell no. Do you think he knows what tapas are? No, nah, probably not. <laughs> it's a little bit of stereotyping, but absolutely true. 100%. Yeah, but and we then, can like British stereotype, right? It's not a Is there another stop after 
it was just united to a spanish team right he didn't go anywhere else yeah i think i don't think he went anywhere else after and then to west ham and i mean what a story and you know he's really turned that team around Wait, it's fun. It's kind of funny too, because this West Ham team plays pretty similarly to his Everton team. Like, oh. really solid defensively. Oh, what? He went somewhere else? I forgot about this. So he went to Sunderland for a little bit. Oh. And then no. he went to West Ham and then was fired, remember? And then he's back at West Ham. Yeah, it was one of those where he was this. like sacked at the end of the season, after, even though he like saved them from relegation. I think they like almost, they, they were close to getting relegated, like 17th, I think. Uh, that was, I think that was a different year, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they were, they sacked him and they brought him back and Premier League Sunderland, or is this like when they went, I don't remember seeing him. I think Premier League Sunderland. (laughs) I think Premier League. By the way, got to plug that Netflix Sunderland documentary. All these sports documentaries are really like half baked and like PR stunts. That one (laughs) is for real and it's pretty sad. So. You got to watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, West Ham finished 13th that year when he was sacked. But oh, yeah. Um, it's harsh. Anyways, so West Ham, bright things coming for them. All right, so that's it. So top three or top four, we have West Ham, Chelsea, Liverpool, Brighton. We'll see how many of those teams finish top two. You know, it's a Liverpool are kind of sneaky team if they stay healthy too this year. No one's talking about them, but if they no stay healthy... No one. I mean, Virgil van Dijk can ping some balls, as we saw in that game. I know they were playing subpar competition in Burnley, who started the game well, actually, but he's played some magnificent long balls I in that game. I think he's so, still arguably the best defender in the world, too. So suddenly, you know, one year of Ruben Diaz, everyone forgets van Dijk, I guess. So, yeah, keep keep your eyes on that story. So West Ham, Chelsea, Liverpool, Brighton, uh, Tottenham in the wings, Kyle. Just had to mention that for you. Uh, and then in the bottom, we have Newcastle, Arsenal, and Norwich. And Arsenal, Norwich without a goal, as well as Wolves and Crystal Palace. But Wolves, I'm not really worried about. But Arsenal and Norwich, not to score a goal. And Arsenal's the more disappointing one, because Norwich yeah. obviously started against Liverpool and City. I mean, what are you going to do? But yeah. You think uh, Arsenal are going to score on uh, City this next weekend? Uh, I mean, they could, but it could also be like six to one. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, my bet is that they're going to show their first good account of themselves this this season. But like, why am I betting on good things for Arsenal? I mean, Arteta oh, knows Pep, you would think, pretty well. But also, yeah. like, I mean, what City can throw at them versus what Brentford can throw at them is vastly different. I mean, Chelsea. I mean, obviously, a much better squad than Arsenal. Uh, went to Arsenal and took it to them, and now Arsenal has to go to City. Like, yeah, who yeah, in City's uh, in City's game? This was not the empty hod. It was a full stadium. Doubt it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Good for I them. I like to make empty hod jokes as much as, but I mean, the pandemic. I'm sure people are clamoring yeah. to get in there, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, it'll be an interesting weekend. Uh, some really good matches coming up. Um, you know, match week two was a little uh, bit of a lull, but match week three, let's see what we got going on. Uh, Man City, Arsenal, which we talked about a little bit. Uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, Justin, Saturday, oh, 9 oh. Perfect. That is a good one. And I also think this Wolves-Manchester United game on Sunday, uh, which is at 8.30 a.m. West Coast time, uh, could also be 
a pretty decent one. So some good games. Tough start for Wolves. I mean, some decent clubs. They have to play Leicester, Tottenham, United. I mean, Wolves have played some good football. I have to say, I mean, even in losses, they've, they've given, they've created chances. And so we'll see what they can do against United. Um, yeah, that's an exciting lineup. And I think there was another one that was Brighton Everton. I mean, not a, um, not a super sexy matchup, but te- two teams that haven't lost yet. So yeah. And Everton seem more attacking under Rafa, which is bizarre. Did not expect that, but they have been pretty progressive so far this season. So and Brighton play good stuff. Yeah, so I think those are the top four matches. We'll see. But that Liverpool-Chelsea is going to be an absolute cracker of a match. I mean, Lukaku going to Anfield. I mean, Liverpool with all the talent that they have. Virgil van Dijk versus Lukaku, Kyle. I mean, that's going to be a little different than Pablo Mari. I can guarantee you that. Just a little different. A little more pace and just a little more power. So, What's your yeah, prediction? No, as, we, as we close it out, what's, who's going to win? Liverpool-Chelsea. Oh, I'm going to be lame and sit on the fence and say like a 1-1 draw, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I okay, you know what, fuck that. I'm going to change it. I, I think I'm going to bet on Liverpool surprising everyone and looking really impressive, really solid. They shackle Lukaku relatively well, and they win uh, 2-1 Liverpool at Anfield. I think that's the right prediction. Um yeah, that's what I was going to say. But I think Lukaku does not score for Chelsea. I think he's going to get well of Marshall. I mean, he's still getting in. I think Arsenal was an easy matchup for him. I mean, easy in the sense of Pablo Mari. And I mean, come on. Uh, but uh, this is going to be a much more difficult matchup in a much hostile, more hostile environment than at the Emirates. Uh, I think Liverpool are going to be loud and going to struggle a little bit more and Liverpool's going to press and cause a lot more problems for the Chelsea's back line than the 0.3 XG Arsenal did so uh, yep. it's going to be a little different and for anyone who is still relatively new to the Premier League maybe started watching during the pandemic with no fans uh, Liverpool probably the best atmosphere in all of England I mean those fans singing mm-hmm. you'll never walk alone before the game I mean even as a neutral you can get some chills so uh, if if home field advantage really matters for any Premier League club, it's Liverpool, and I, I think that'll um, just about edge this game for them. All right, that is it for this podcast. Next week, we're going to go over all the big matches, and we're going to go over some of the transfers that happened as well, because today is the 23rd, so next week will be the 30th, and... The transfer window slammed shut on the 31st. So we'll pretty much have a gauge of the rumors or what all the signings were at that point. And then this later this week, we have the UEFA, UEFA Champions League draw as well. So we'll break down all the groups. Whereas Tottenham, oh wait, they're down in the Conference League. Maybe hey, you're going to talk about the Conference League. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they might not even make it. So we'll talk about all the European groups and what you know. What are the surprises? What are the disappointments, etc. So we'll get into that next episode. But until then, stay safe. We'll catch you next week. See ya.